So the finish and the detail is very important. Not that it's ever not important, but this is where you really want a tip-top project. You're listening to the She Renovates podcast. You're listening to She Renovates, the podcast for women who want to renovate to create an income and a life they love. Hello, renovators. It's Bernadette. And today on She Renovates, I'm talking about how to resource your project while keeping your kitchen renovation costs down. So in this episode, it's the second stage of our kitchen renovation series. And I'm going to be talking about all the things that you need to order in order to complete your kitchen renovation. So we're going to be talking about cabinetry, appliances, tapware, stone, bells and whistles, and anything else that comes up along the way. So before I get into that, I want to let you know that this episode is sponsored by our entry-level training called How to Replace Your Income with Renovating. This training is for you if your mission is to become a pro-renovator, to replace a dull day job, to retire and downsize or downsize profitably, to pay off your mortgage, to help those you care about, and to have more fun and more money in your life. You will also learn the three simple steps I use to fulfill my passion for renovating and make $102,045 in my last six-week renovation. And that was while running a demanding business, studying accounting, what was I thinking, and juggling life and an aging parent. Now, you might be wondering, am I going to be offered something else in that training? And the answer is yes, but only if you want to, because here's the thing, I think you probably should know me well enough by now to know that I do not want women in my program that one, don't want to be there, and two, are not going to get results. Please don't feel any anxiety about this. This is about spreading the word, the mission, and letting you know what is available to you should you take up the mission. And of course, you'll also receive a beautiful bonus, a three-step checklist and renovation success guide, which is basically the blueprint to go from standing position to be in a position where you can be churning out an average of $100,000 in profit per project. Okay, so let's get into this episode. So we're talking about resourcing your kitchen renovation project. And as with everything we do, we're always balancing the cost against the outcome. So basically, we're looking for that nirvana where you can produce a stunning outcome, but while keeping your budget to an absolute minimum. I'm going to start with cabinetry because that is the biggest expense in kitchens And uh, so I'm going to go through three different scenarios. So we're going to start with a renovation where you're doing a premium renovation for profit 
or you're renovating your family home. So the finish and the detail is very important. Not that it's ever not important, but this is where you really want a tip-top project. And my first recommendation is do not go to a full-service kitchen company. Not because you won't get a good outcome, but because you can achieve the same outcome, but without for at least 30%, often 50% less cost. So this is where the savvy renovator comes into play. You do want to find a custom joiner, mainly because you'll get a better finish. There's no doubt that you can get an excellent finish with a flat pack, but if you want a perfect finish, you want custom joinery. And the reason being, with flat pack, you have to match the components to the measurements in your room, and they will never be perfect. And so you will end up with gaps, filling gaps, and which is fine and not very noticeable. However, I think for a really premium look, you don't want fillers. And so that's why I would recommend a custom cabinet maker. Now, the difference between a made-to-order kitchen and a flat pack kitchen is often only the time frame. So if you buy the right flat pack, you can go and pick it up and take it home in the morning and have it in the afternoon. Whereas with a custom kitchen, you're usually looking at least three weeks, like The best I can do is around about two to three weeks, and that's really pushing it. So in order to get your custom kitchen at the right price, you need to connect with a a joinery shop. So you need to speak to the cabinet maker direct. So I mentioned earlier that it'll cost you a lot more to order through a kitchen company, a full service kitchen company. And the reason being is you're paying for a lot of overheads and markup. So a kitchen company generally, well, they may run their own joinery shop, but you will still pay a premium. Generally, they will have third parties. So they'll have a joiner, they'll have the trades, they'll have the suppliers. They'll also have a full-time designer, plus have a showroom. So you're paying for the um, overhead of a showroom and will put markup onto everything. So that's their business model, which is fine for people who do not have the time or the bandwidth to manage it themselves, to do it via the various components. But for us, we don't want to be uh, paying out our profit in overheads, so we want to get the, the rock bottom price. So we go directly to the joiner. Now, I find that I don't keep joiners for any longer than a few years because you will do the research, you'll find someone that's really good and really cost effective. And after a while, other people start to find out about them and then they become less cost effective because they start putting their prices up because their demand has increased. And after a while, they start to put the showrooms in their factories and you start to be moving into the full service kitchen arrangement, not quite somewhere in between. And so that's when I find that I have to go and find another joiner. But there are heaps of joiners or cabinet makers around. So it really is just a matter of keeping at it until you get the right one. 
The beauty of going directly to a cabinet maker is that you have the advantage of having custom dimensions. So things like lovely wide drawers are not going to cost you any more no matter how wide they are because really the cost is not in the materials and so that you can really tailor your kitchen so that you've got a really nice finish. You also get a choice of um, finishes so when we're doing a custom kitchen we'll actually select the veneer we want and send the um, link to the joiner and ask them to source their materials. So that way we're getting a really premium product. The other thing is when they install, when things don't quite work, which often happens, then the cabinet maker will do what it takes to get it fitted properly. And so that's the best way to get a custom kitchen. I also use custom kitchen for my projects as well because I find that often they are a very similar price to flat pack. And if I've got the time to do it, I think it's an easier road, perceived as a better road. I'm not really sure. I haven't really, jury's out on whether that really is the case. Which brings me to the second option, which is the flat pack kitchen. Now, I have to say, I do love flat pack. I love the idea of going to a kitchen cabinetry supermarket and picking out what you want and so on. Just like a custom kitchen, it does need to be designed. If you are new to this, what I would suggest that you do before you design your kitchen is engage your installer. Because if you go to Ikea or Bunnings, they have design services which are really great. But I have found that often that they haven't thought through the details properly. The kitchen's turned up and it yet there are elements of it that don't work. And then you're going toing and froing, having to change over elements. You've got a installer there wanting to do the work. It can become a bit of a schmozzle. So I would really strongly suggest that you engage the installer first and talk through the installation so that you can make sure that it is going to work. Someone that's new to renovating often isn't that accurate with measuring. And so I would say, unless you've had a lot of experience, don't rely on your own measurements. Get a professional to measure up for you to make sure that it fits. In order to get the installation of the flat pack really spot on, I would suggest that you engage someone that's experienced in flat pack installation rather than a builder. Now, if you have a builder or a carpenter who's experienced with putting flat packs in, often they are, that's fine. But please don't use a builder or carpenter who's not done many because I have found that they don't have the patience for the detail. So one of the things that I really love about IKEA is they think through everything. They've got really good quality um, hardware, but it requires adjustment and it requires to be set up properly. And if you've got an installer that doesn't have the patience for that, you find that your kitchen will not live up to its full potential because it hasn't been set up properly. The the doors haven't been adjusted properly. I had one situation, actually this was the day I decided I'm never letting a builder near a uh, flat pack again. I had an Ikea kitchen and the 
I'd bought the really big panels for either side of the fridge and down the sides of the cabinetry. I think they're about $200 each. And this guy, I could tell he was really not happy about the fact that a flat pack was going in. He was very impatient. He just took to one of those panels with a saw and then said, oops, sorry, shouldn't have done that. And so, of course, the $200 panel has to get tossed out and have to go and buy another one. And you just don't want to be working with that attitude. You want someone who's really inspired and excited by the attention to detail with that product and is going to do a good job. So the next thing is a low budget kitchen. In this scenario, I've got two options. So firstly, if the existing kitchen is in reasonable condition, the carcasses are in reasonable condition and you're not changing the uh, layout, then I would definitely just get new doors. However, if you get new doors and drawer fronts, you will also need to get new side panels and new kickers. So it does mean a reasonably extensive makeover, but it also does save you a considerable amount of money. In our Renault in Arncliffe, we did this. However, I did change the overheads because there was an indent where the range hood went and it it just, the lines weren't clean. So we put new overheads in, new side panels, new drawer fronts, new doors and new kickers. And it came to 4,900, which I think is a, a pretty good outcome. But if you don't even have that much for your kitchen, the next step down, and this is for probably for an investment property, although our bargain hunter, Michelle Lewis, has put secondhand kitchens in her flips, is buying a secondhand kitchen. And there are some crazy people who have more money than sense will buy a house that'll have a kitchen that might be a year old, but not to their liking. So rather than make it over, we'll pull it all out and start again. So it's not hard to get a really good quality kitchen for around $500. And often that will include the appliances as well. Now, the costs don't finish at $500. Of course, you need to pay someone to remove it. Sometimes it's already removed. Otherwise, you need to pay someone to remove it, to transport it and to reinstall it. And of course, you need to make the cabinets work with your scenario, but it is absolutely doable. And when you're on a tiny budget, I think that is a really great outcome. Plus, it's great for the world. So less landfill is always a good thing. Okay, so that's cabinetry done. Um, if you've got plenty of time, or enough time, I should say, not plenty of time, we never have plenty of time, then go for custom and be rigorous about finding a cabinet maker that you can work directly with and works for the right sort of price. Make sure that you don't have a third party involved so you're not basically working with a middleman and they're putting their markup on it. If you've got no time or very little time, then a flat pack is always a good option, provided it's well installed. And the last scenario is if you've got an absolutely tiny budget, then go for replacing door fronts and kickers, etc., or go for a second-hand kitchen where you might also get your appliances as well. So next, we're moving on to the appliances and where to source them. Now, I realised when my sister-in-law was putting in her new kitchen, 
when I saw what she paid for fairly basic brand appliances, I thought, oh my gosh, I am so glad that we know how to um, source appliances at the right price. So as a professional renovator, you're able to buy your appliances wholesale. And we buy our appliances from Harvey Norman Commercial, which is where all the builders and developers also source their appliances. I used to love Seconds World. However, Seconds World was bought out by Harvey Norman, so obviously they decided to eat up their competition. There is still, I think, one store in Sydney, but it's it's not so user-friendly, so I don't do it anymore. So it's definitely straight to Harvey Norman. The difference is I need to be more organised. And But basically, we buy at wholesale prices. And so firstly, we've got to talk about cooking. So what you need, whether it's a gas cooktop or an electric. Generally, with electric, if I've got the budget, I'll go for an induction cooktop because they're flipping amazing. And the separate oven. Now, I don't get too fussed about the knobs on the oven, the, the functions of the oven. I generally like to go for a decent brand. My Favourite go-to is Ilvi, but apart from that, provided it looks good, that's pretty much as far as I go. Of course, unless I'm buying for myself and then that's a different story. Same with the cooktop. It needs to look good, it needs to be easy to clean and so on. If you're putting an induction in, you want to check with your electrician that you have the power capability to carry it. The electrician will have to put a separate power source in for the stove because they do draw a lot of power. With the overhead range hood, sorry, I don't get too fussed about the brand. It's really more go for noise level. So I'm sure you've all experienced the jet engine starting up in the kitchen when the range hood gets turned on. So I try to go for the one with the lowest dB level at the most reasonable price. And of course, make sure the range hood is exactly the same width as the cooktop and the oven. So I didn't realize that anyone would not do this but I saw a scenario the other day so make sure that they all line up and they're exactly the same size. Sometimes you will find that you can say get a 700 wide cooktop and you can't get a 700 wide 700 millimeters that is wide range hood in that scenario I'd go for a wider range hood go for the 900 wide range hood and, and oven and the 700 cooktop. So the dishwasher. Now with the dishwasher, the kicker on the dishwasher doesn't have a lot of adjustment. So that really sets the um, style for your kitchen. If you want clean lines, you want to have that chosen before your cabinet maker starts. So you're able to give that dimension to the cabinet maker. In terms of the dishwasher, I don't think there's, of course, always go for a good brand. I do like to do integrated, but I only do that if the dishwasher is highly visible because otherwise you're spending a couple of hundred dollars for nothing. If you can't see it, if it's behind the breakfast bar, I don't worry. I have been doing white dishwashers recently because they blend in with white cabinets, but that's as far far as I've gone in terms of the renovating for profit approach. So with Arncliffe, we put a dishwasher in where there wasn't one, which was quite easy to do. Just cut out the cabinet, put it as close as possible to the kitchen so you can access the water source and the drainage that was done through flexi pipes and also power. And so all we did was popped a little extension cord in that enabled the dishwasher to reach the back wall for the power. And Bob's your uncle. Quite an easy and cost-effective process. 
Now, in terms of other appliances, like you can go to town, you can get double ovens, you can get steam ovens, blast chillers, you name it. The value of my projects is not high enough to warrant those sorts of bells and whistles. In our home kitchen, we always have a zip boil. I love drinking tea and I like to have boiling water on tap. So we have boiling and chilled water in order to be able to have a seamless life. And that is a reasonable expense. Once again, you would buy that from the wholesaler. So you get it at wholesale prices. Just incidentally, I've had both Zip and Billy and I would go for Zip every time. I found the Billy quite high, expensive to maintain. It's had a few things go wrong with it where I've not really had those issues with Zip. I've also found Zip a lot more flexible with the cost of their repairs when you get a big expense early in the life of the product. So that's just my take on it. I do like to put in a wine fridge. I just think it's a nice value add. We usually put a couple of bottles of wine in and generally it doesn't cost a lot more than a cabinet. So I I think that's a bit of a no-brainer. The other thing that I'm considering in my own kitchen, so I probably wouldn't do this in a project because I don't know that time-poor professional people are cooks or cook that much, is to put in a pot filler. So that goes over the stove. It's a plumbed tap with a bendy arm that goes over the stove in order to uh, be able to fill your soup pot without carrying that big heavy pot to the sink. Okay, and while we're on the subject of plumbing, you need to replace your sink. Please make sure that it is more than a single sink. Even like one and a quarter is fine. You just need to have something to be able to empty out things while you've got a sink full. My preference is high quality stainless steel, high quality so that you can get a good shine on it and sparkles. Low quality stainless steel doesn't sparkle no matter how much you scrub, unless of course it's a flip, in which case I would consider a colour because we want to have that really on trend look. From what I've seen, coloured sinks don't seem to present a huge problem with chipping provided you buy a good quality product, a good brand. And the gooseneck tap is reasonably popular at the moment. It's important to know that when you are putting a a kitchen sink in an island bench that the tap is going to be highly visible. So you want it to look really beautiful. And of course, both those items come from the wholesaler. So the last topic that I'm going to talk about is stone or bench tops. Now, if you are on a tiny budget with a flat pack kitchen, then you might consider laminate bench tops. They are dirt cheap from Bunnings or Ikea. However, if you can stretch your budget to composite stone, it will pay you back in droves. I really am amazed at how cheap it is if you are careful about who you order it through and how you lay out your kitchen. For instance, with the recent Ironcliffe project, we had the resurfacing guy quote us on resurfacing the kitchen bench and it was around, I think it was $1,450. And so then I had the stonemason also quote on it and he quoted me $1,900 and this was for composite stone. So, of course, it was a no-brainer. We went with the stone. The thing about stone is even at 20 mil, it's perceived as a more luxurious finish. I think the days of laminate bench tops are back in the 80s and 90s 
And so I would really strongly recommend you avoid it. I don't do natural stone mainly. It's not always that much more expensive, but it's much higher maintenance because it stains and so on. It's got to be sealed. And that's also, I don't do really high value, like two two to $5 million projects. Mine are generally under two. So I don't need to do natural stone. It's important to note that all stones, most of the stones that are referred to as stone are actually composite stone, which is crushed up stone mixed up with resin to look like stone. And in order to manage the cost of the stone, what I do is I find out the size of the sheets and work out how many sheets I need for the kitchen. So if you're just going 20 mil, you just need the area of the bench tops. If you're going 40 mil, they need that extra stone to thicken the edges. So it's not actually 40 mil, but the edges are thickened to look like 40, 60, whatever you've got. And so I work out what the sheet sizes are, and then I work out how many sheets I need for my kitchen, laundry, bathroom, whatever I'm doing. And these days I actually ring the stonemason and get me to send photos. But in the early days, I used to go out to the stonemason's yard and walk around with him and say, I like that, how much is that? And he would quote me a price per slab installed. And so that way I would know exactly what I was up for when I was selecting the stone. I would never say go to the Caesar Stone catalogue and select a Caesar Stone and say that's what I want because I know that it would cost me significantly more. And Caesar Stone is just a composite stone that's done a really good marketing job. And so you can find equally beautiful stones just by having a relationship with your stonemason. And sometimes once I was doing a kitchen and I wanted to do the marble composite stone, but I needed a lot of it. I was doing a waterfall and it was going to blow the budget. So what I did is I did stone splashbacks and I made them the marble and then I just did a plain white bench top. And so that really worked. So there is more than one way to get the outcome that you want. Okay, so that's it for today. Now, if you haven't already done so, please come over to iTunes and leave us a review. Give us any suggestions that you would like for future episodes and we will be so grateful. We read them all and we are so appreciative of you making the effort. So thank you. This is the She Renovates podcast. To discover how to harness the power of renovating, check out theschoolofrenovating.com.